The budget that I'm releasing today is centered on one, building a community care system that increases prevention efforts. Two, offering better crisis response services and treatment options. Three, growing our behavioral health workforce. And four, focusing on much needed research and innovation. In this budget, you will see growing investments to expand what's working. Welcome back to Prognosis Ohio. I'm Dan Skinner. And that, of course, was Governor Mike DeWine at his State of the State address last week, highlighting some of the behavioral health proposals he's put forward in his budget. On today's show, I'm going to be talking with two public health advocates who are working not only to make sure that the promising public health initiatives the governor is advocating for actually make it into the final budget, but that a wide range of really important public health priorities also get a fair hearing and don't get swept under the rug. This coming week is going to be critical as the House Republicans unveil their own priorities so we can start to see how things line up or don't. In the conversation, Tara Britton from the Center for Community Solutions and Kelsey Bergfeld from Advocates for Ohio's Future talk with me at some length about Medicaid and what the end of the public health emergency might mean for enrollment numbers in Ohio, but also supports for mental health and addiction, maternal health, food access, child care, housing, and more. As you might expect with budget talk, the conversation gets a little wonky at times, but if you just take the conversation from a broader perspective, you'll get a sense of the absolutely high stakes of the current moment for Ohio. There's way more to talk about than we can fit into a half-hour show, of course, but the good news is that this is the first of many conversations we're going to be having about the budget, so stay tuned. As always, check out our show notes at prognosisohio.com. Make sure you're subscribed to the show in your podcast app, and think about giving us a review if you can. If you like this show and you'd like to help us bring you more conversations like this, including the more extended podcast series about health issues in Ohio that we're planning, please consider pitching it a few bucks through Patreon. You can get to our Patreon account by clicking through from our website. All right, here's my conversation with Tara Britton from the Center for Community Solutions and Kelsey Bergfeld from Advocates for Ohio's Future. Hey, Tara and Kelsey, thanks so much for being here at WCBE and uh, talking about the budget. We're always excited to talk about the budget. Yes, very happy to be here. So, you know, there's a lot of details to get into, and you've already promised me you're going to come back because as anybody who does this work knows, things are going to change fast um, over the next couple of months. So we're just kind of getting a preview today of what some of the priorities are and starting the conversation But I want to start with a little bit of kind of broader context before jumping into some of those details. In the next bunch of months, right as the Ohio biennial budget's being hammered out, we're going to be in the beginning stages of a public health emergency unwind, right? There's a lot changing under our feet. And that stands to undo a lot of the services that have been supporting Ohioans throughout the pandemic. So that's kind of a really important context for this discussion, I would think. I guess I want to ask you to start the conversation. How much of what you both are advocating for with your various organizations in the new budget is trying to just kind of fill holes and prepare for the unwind as opposed to building and growing and these kinds of things that we hope to do in Ohio? Maybe we can start with Kelsey to get into this conversation and talk a little bit about the unwind. Absolutely. I could talk about this all day. Uh, So really what uh, we're facing in Ohio Uh, We are coming off of, again, three years of the pandemic. Uh, With that pandemic, uh, the federal government decided to 
support folks during some of those challenging times by increasing some benefits, by adding some flexibilities in public programs that a lot of folks, um, a lot of folks even for the first time found themselves relying on things like SNAP or food stamps and Medicaid, uh, so access to health care during that time to Again, support basic needs, maybe free up some other resources uh, for things like uh, protective equipment and hand sanitizer and making sure their families were safe. So during those times, uh, there were enhanced benefits. There were additional folks coming on to these public programs. Um, And we are entering the phase in the next few months where those uh, flexibilities and those extra supports are going to wind down. Uh, These are federal decisions uh, that are coming down, but the state has to implement those changes. Really, the first one that we have our eye on is in the SNAP program. Uh, Families have received the maximum allotment or the maximum benefit for their family household size uh, for the past three years. Uh, Often that's $200, $300, $400, even more than their normal uh, base rate. And their last really allocation of that enhanced benefit or that maximum benefit is coming at the end of this month. Right. And just for listeners who may not know a lot about SNAP, SNAP is a real foundation of food security in our state. And we, during the pandemic, have even upped our our game. And that's really helped a lot of people to get through. And that that economic reality or that food insecurity hasn't changed substantially, right? We are still in the same situation, even if the public health emergency takes away those resources. Exactly. And we are at a time right now when uh, inflation and food prices in particular are much higher than they were even pre-pandemic. And at this point, we have 1.9 million Ohioans on those SNAP rolls. So when you think about 12 million Ohioans in the state overall, that's a really solid chunk of folks who still qualify for this benefit and this support for nutrition. And our food banks at this time, unfortunately, are facing some shortages, capacity issues, are going to be struggling to meet that need uh, as these benefits roll off. So again, we can't get to all of the policy priorities today, and there's a lot of discussions, and this is going to be kind of a a moving uh, target as we as we move through the next couple of months. Um, But let's talk about a few of them. So, you know, it's clear that you're hoping that both of you, both your organizations, Advocates for Ohio's Future and uh, the Center for Community Solutions, you're hoping that we can build on progress made since the Medicaid expansion in 2014. And you know, as we've talked about on this show a number of times, Medicaid is an absolute lifeline in our state. And I think everybody who looks closely at it realizes this, hopefully. But you think there's more that we can do in Medicaid, right? There are, there are add-ons. There are things that need to be shored up. Maybe you can give me a snapshot, Tara, of some of the aspects of Medicaid that are being discussed with regard to the budget process right now. Absolutely. So lots of progress to build on in the last budget. The state expanded coverage for pregnant women. Um, who are covered by Medicaid, they used to only receive coverage for 30, or, I'm sorry, 60 days after birth, giving birth, and we upped that to a full year. And so that was a big change. And one of the things that we're pushing for and Governor DeWine has put in his proposed budget is to expand coverage up to a higher income level for kids and pregnant women. So that's that's a good big step um, to, to increasing coverage for um, that population, but we want to see something that we've actually looked at a lot is the concept of continuous coverage for kids. So uh, we're hoping other states have done this, that we can move to Medicaid coverage for kids up to age six, that they don't have to go through a 
yearly redetermination process. And that we know will make a big difference in continuity of coverage because it's a lot of paperwork to do redeterminations every year. Sometimes if parents don't have coverage, they think their kids also don't. Um, and there's a, sometimes a disconnect there. So it's really important and we think it'll be something that will make a big difference to have that continuous coverage. So that's something we're gonna be asking for that's not in the budget right now. Right, and we're really looking for continuity in care here you know, and, and making sure that people aren't thrown off the rolls. We've had a couple of situations in Ohio where all of a sudden the roles would dramatically change and it was almost like nobody knew what was happening and it took them a while to figure out, well, this is what's happening. But right now we actually have kind of a cliff that we're looking at, it seems. Um, Kelsey, what are some other aspects of this that you're kind of thinking about looking at? Absolutely. For this cliff in particular, we will see, or we expect uh, the folks who are on the Medicaid rolls, you have about 3.5 million folks. Again, out of 12 million folks in Ohio, that's a really, really uh, big percentage of folks who rely on the state for their health coverage. Uh, for the first time in three years, their uh, eligibility for coverage will be redetermined. They're going to have to go through all that paperwork, submit those files for wages and, and assets and things uh, along those lines. So we'll do a 12th of the case allowed every month. Uh, so they are going to examine eligibility uh, and really depends on if uh, folks are eligible for their wages. But if there's some questions, they'll be mailed that renewal packet. Uh, there's a lot of administrative burden, a lot of reliance on the post office uh, and the mail system, and a lot of reliance on our county uh, jobs and family services offices to ensure those folks either are on the rolls or off the rolls. And if they lose their coverage, that they are connected to Navigator services or a different service to help them uh, connect to private coverage to the marketplace. Uh, so we expect up to 220,000 Ohioans to be removed from the rolls in the next year. Uh, again, that will be a gradual process. Uh, unfortunately, we expect some more administrative folks to drop off because of that administrative burden. Maybe yeah. folks moved, didn't update their address, and if we can't reach them, you know, we can't ensure that their coverage continues or, or do those checks that are necessary. So there's a large number of folks that we're concerned about. We've been working with departments to make sure that that change is as smooth as possible. But we do expect a large number of Ohioans to lose their health coverage in the next 12 months. Medicaid's had an interesting politics to it over the years. You know, going back to the expansion and the Kasich administration, there was some question when Governor DeWine was running for office about where he would be with Medicaid, but actually most of those positions have been fairly stable, is, is my sense anyway. And in his State of the State address, you would get a sense that health of children and women and addiction and all these different things that Medicaid is so important to are, are important to him. The kinds of policy developments you're talking about, do you get a sense that there's going to be resistance to these things or is it kind of uneven around the state? Um, it seems like the governor is behind some pieces of these and not yet. So I know there's a whole negotiation that happens, but I guess I'm asking you, and I'm going to ask you at the end again, we can compare the answers, but how optimistic are you about the Medicaid side of things that people understand how important the program is to the state? Well, I think there's definitely going to be some political questions about how Medicaid has evolved, especially over the last three years. Uh, we've signed, kind of seen the confluence of COVID politics and Medicaid politics um, combined in the last budget when the legislature included a provision um, that required the Department of Medicaid to engage a contractor to essentially look at 
um, who was enrolled, and if they should still be enrolled. Mm -hmm. um, basically focusing in on the people they thought shouldn't be enrolled anymore based on family size or income or whatever the, the reason. Um, so I think some of that has, um, I feel like it's a little less contentious. Um, we've sort of eased into a, a place where the federal government has intent, has shared that they intend to end the public health emergency in May. Um, they are, you know, facilitating the unwinding of some of these programs that have been enhanced during the pandemic. So I think because of the sort of directives from the federal level, there's some protections, I guess, for lack of a better term, in place to, to make this happen um, with as little harm as possible um, to people who are enrolled and rely on the programs. Not to say there will not be harm. I think folks losing additional access to um, food support through SNAP, the potential that folks are going to be unenrolled from Medicaid and shouldn't be, mm -hmm. um, making sure folks are connected to other forms of health coverage if they are no longer eligible for Medicaid. Those are all big um, questions and, and things we have to pay attention to. But I do think that some of the sort of question of expansion or not expansion or um, what we can do around work requirements or things, we have some protection at the federal level that that will ease some of that. I think there'll be other sticky political issues, but I'm a little less concerned that it's going to be focused in on like this question of who's who's worthy of Medicaid. Mm -hmm. Beyond building on Medicaid, what, what are some ways Ohio could the, over the next couple of years, the two years of the biennial budget, for example, make some better progress with mental health and addiction. And I know that's related to Medicaid in many ways, but there are other pieces in your priorities as well. So maybe Kelsey, you could talk a little bit about where Advocates for Ohio's Future thinks about the mental health and addiction piece. Absolutely. So I think in the past few years, we have really seen a really a stress towards destigmatizing, uh, looking for help and, and making sure that community mental health services, behavioral health. These are conversations that are happening, you know, around dinner tables and that we are taking away some of the the stigma really around the, the need for these services and that we are starting to see the infrastructure and the strength and, and coverage of specifically certain areas of Ohio. We know there's lots of uh, need for capacity building in rural areas of Ohio, making sure that we are implementing mental health and preventative mental health uh, practices in schools, that there are counselors available. Uh, really the biggest hurdle when it comes to expanding the behavioral health uh, availability and capacity here in Ohio is workforce. Yeah. When we think about reimbursement for behavioral health services, we know that those jobs particularly as well are, are, are tough on, on folks who work in these spaces. Uh, when we think about, you know, the impact it has on folks, we know that COVID certainly hit that work workforce. I mean, all the entire uh, healthcare workforce very, very hard. Uh, but the recovery and, and bringing folks into the space has been difficult for folks to to enter and and want to take this on as a career, particularly when the the wages in that space have not kept up with other areas and other sectors. Um, so really, workforce and provider rates for folks who want to work in the space and really and have that calling we want to ensure that their compensation and, and really their wages and opportunities especially where we need them in the state like rural ohio and other spaces um, that we can attract folks there and keep them there 
I'm especially interested in, the, in an area we've talked a lot about on this show, namely so-called harm reduction policies, right? Uh, strategies such as syringe exchanges, fentanyl test strips, naloxone distribution. You know, I've been watching the opioid crisis for a bunch of years in the state, but also other, you know, the other addiction crises. And there has been some change, is my sense, in the, you know, Kelsey mentioned the reduction of stigma, which is a wonderful thing to see and actually kind of shocking. I'm, I'm proud of that. That's a good thing. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of these harm reduction approaches. Is the state softening on them and listening to public health a little bit more? Is there still the kind of resistance on the policy side to making these things a bit more normalized in our state? I think softening is probably a good word to describe that, but not uh, not as far as we need it to go in terms of sort of the proliferation of, of yeah. funding for for all harm reduction services. Decriminalizing fentanyl test strips at the end of the last General Assembly was a really great step. Uh, we think that that will, that will make a big difference. We know lots of folks who are really excited to be able to have access to those to distribute through um, harm reduction networks. And we really look at harm reduction with sort of that the broadest definition of it. So syringe service programs are sort of the, the traditional program you think about as it relates to harm reduction, but really looking at um, all of that around naloxone distribution, the fentanyl test strip distribution, and truly understanding the support that those programs, the syringe service programs and other programs just offer to people who are struggling with addiction. Um, you know, we're, we're making progress. It was great to see a few budgets ago that there's a specific line item in the budget, not to get too budget wonky, but, mm -hmm. you know, we look at a specific line to see how much um, funding is there. It hasn't, the amount hasn't gone up since its inception. So that's something we're going to work on this budget. But to have that dedicated state flexible funding source is great. We also have seen some more flexibility from federal funding around harm reduction. And that's a move in the right direction because, you know, the state can apply for federal funding to to ensure that we have drawn down some of those dollars. Because, you know, the thing about harm reduction is that it's it's good when you have pockets, of course. We'll, we'll take it wherever we can get it. But some of these things, we really just need to flood the state we, with naloxone. There needs to be, you know, every, every sheriff's office, every school. I mean, we need it everywhere, just like AEDs and other things that we talk about in, in health and public health. And so that, that's what I worry about a little bit is the disparity piece and where you have county by county or region by region, these different sensibilities or you know, more or less resistance to what in public health is wholly uncontroversial. I mean, these are demonstrated evidence-based things. So I'm, I'm hoping that it will keep moving in that direction. Me too. And, um, you know, that's the Ohio story though, right? Like one county, county by county is different. And so it's, it's true in the harm reduction space. It's true for a lot of other policies that we look at. <laughs> you know, I'm from New York originally. I keep telling my my friends back in New York, I'm going to stop talking about Ohio. Ohio is many things. And they're like, they don't know this. Actually, I don't think it's something that's really known outside our state that there's just such diversity, you know, regional and all, I mean, demographic diversity, all sorts of things. I once had a state legislator say to me in a meeting, like, I'm from Arizona and I just don't understand all this government in Ohio. Like you have so many, there's so much government. I was like, you're in the government. So. <laughs> <laughs> OK, 
Okay, so we've touched on some of the big issues that you see in the news and that I know the policy folks I know around the state are, are pushing. These are high-yield things you've talked about so far. Oh, before we turn to some kind of just general questions, I wanted to give each of you a chance to kind of highlight a couple other things you're looking at, things you're hopeful about, just to give a, listeners a sense of the the full terrain of, uh, you know, because we've just scratched the surface here. Maybe we can start with uh, Tara. I would like to mention doulas. Um, <laughs> doulas can make a big difference for um, people who are pregnant for the first time or pregnant for the fourth time and just need some extra support. Uh, we know that they can really make an impact on reducing disparities. And we made a lot of progress last General Assembly moving toward um, getting Medicaid coverage for doula services and almost got it across the finish line. I think we can do it this time. We've been talking with lots of folks who really support it. Um, we have some support in the the administration too. The Department of Medicaid is is interested in this and knows what a difference that um, doulas can make, especially for black moms and babies in reducing um, disparities in maternal and infant health. So that's something we're going to really be pushing for. Yeah, doula care is something we've talked about on the show before. We've done episodes on it. And I think anybody who starts talking about race-based disparities in, in our maternal and infant you know, mortality and just general health metrics has to look at the data around doulas and recognize that this is an important thing um, that could really be a game changer in a lot of Ohio communities. It really will. Yeah. Yep. And Kelsey, what are you looking at? So I think overall, we've heard a lot of uh, calls from our legislature to get people back to work. Uh, I think COVID was uh, kind of triggered some different thinking about what it takes to support work uh, here in the state, particularly for uh, low and middle income Ohioans, uh, vital services and, and things that you need to be able to go to work, childcare, transportation, stable housing, uh, have risen to the attention of some not unlikely allies, but uh, particularly the Ohio Chamber of Commerce and other folks who are interested in development and those business groups, knowing that without vital work supports, childcare, housing, transportation, their workforce continues to struggle. Uh, we've been asked the question a million times of why, uh, you know, why people aren't going back to work. Why are folks just allegedly sitting on unpublic programs and, you know, living the high life is, is worth told sometimes. Uh, but we will be focusing on making sure that uh, access and eligibility for childcare, particularly supported. We know it's so expensive, um, you know, up to a thousand dollars per month per child in different areas of the state transportation, that infrastructure and opportunities need to be looked at as well as the availability of just housing stock in Ohio. I think we are a couple hundred thousand units short um, across the state and in particular areas of development uh, that is going to cause a huge problem uh, as different projects move along. So lots of conversations about really what it takes to be able to work here in the state and what supports need to be in place and what the state can do to make it easier for folks to get back to work. It's a nice lead in, in a way, to my last question, because you just kind of like took it to, so you start dropping housing and transportation and we have food systems. We have, I mean, if you take the social determinants seriously as the main drivers of health outcomes in our state, then our state has, I mean, we're just beginning. 
in many ways. We're not just fixing problems or plugging holes. We are rebuilding the boat to kind of keep pushing this metaphor I've started. So I, I, I think a good place to end then is just to kind of ask you, and I've I kind of asked a similar question before, but I want to encapsulate it a little bit. We, we went through this as a state two years ago, right? And in the middle of a different time of the pandemic, the pandemic is still with us, but I think we can admit that it's a different phase of sorts. Like I just trying to get a sense for listeners of how you understand the stakes of this particular budgetary moment, as opposed to maybe where we've been in the, in the, in the past. Yeah, I mean, I think it feels in some ways uh, more familiar to us, like we're just just being back in the state house, sitting in uh, the the hearing rooms, listening to committees and the conversation. Um, so so it feels like it it's more familiar. I think there's some stability that we didn't have two years ago in terms of just overall finances of the state. You know, I think we were certainly expecting. Um, things to drop off a little bit more in terms of overall, you know, we still hear the talk of a recession. I think there's some um, budgeting being done to to prepare for a, a slight recession, but it really, you know, we're in a much better spot um, than than we thought we would be coming out of a pandemic or, you know, sort of phasing out of a pandemic. I don't know that we can't say we're totally done with it yet, mm-hmm. But there, Kelsey mentioned this, but the the connection between understanding what's really happening in people's lives after the end, you know, as, as we've come out of the sort of acute phase of the pandemic and connecting that to if they're able to get back to work, do they have a place for their kids to go while they're there? Can they get there um, physically on a, you know, th- in a car or on a bus? Um, those things seem to to connect more um, for some policymakers. Like they're understanding that you can't you can't have a society, you can't have a functioning society, you can't have family life without all of those supports in place. And so the policymakers will be asking this question of like, what role do we have in in supporting people? Mm-hmm. And that ultimately is where we have to sort of influence the answer to that question. Yeah. Um, we We think there's lots of ways they can be helping, but that's not the same way as everyone else thinks that um, they can help. So that's that's really what we have to do for the next five months. <laughs> Reading between the lines, as I heard you just talking, I mean, there's a little optimism in there. There almost sounds like we're learning, which you know is a good thing. That maybe the I've I've been beating this drum because I'm I'm kind of a glass half empty type person, I have to admit. But I've been beating this drum of um, you know I don't really think we've learned the lessons I wanted to learn from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But as I'm hearing you talk a little bit, it may be that some folks in the state are understanding public health in a little bit more of a comprehensive way. I think I can be a little hopeful on that front. Yeah, and and it may not on the whole sound that way when you sort of read articles or capturing, you know, what's there's some drama happening in the state house, but um, drama in the state house. I know. Um per, there's sort of a particular um phase of drama right now, but I I think that there is some hopefulness having sort of some one-on-one conversations with folks. And one of the things that we've been talking about in advocating for maternal health is like, 
can we all just admit that that having a baby and parenting is like a hard thing? And I think people are sort of understanding that. I feel like the governor understands that with the things he's doing to try to support children and youth is like, yeah, we've a lot of us have done this, but it's it's hard to do. I, I haven't gone a week this year without having to take a sick day for one of my kids. So, yeah. you know, I think it's just like recognizing that we can help one another. Like, I, I hope we have learned some of that sense of community. Yeah. Kelsey, are you basically aligned with that? Anything you want to add? I am generally hopeful. Uh, again, the governor's proposed budget, I think we were surprised to see some some bold initiatives in there that we are certainly supportive of and now uh, we'll be defending uh, throughout the next few months. But in particularly, again, as I mentioned before, the focus on behavioral health and building out community behavioral health and making sure that it is accessible uh, in every neighborhood and every community throughout the state um, is a change. And I think something that had the pandemic not happened, you know, you can't deny it anymore, right? Uh, disparities came to a forefront of folks and and just their well-being and, and what all, you know, all the different services and all the different supports that are needed to support people and families, um, behavioral health being a, a huge part of that just somehow it, it's starting to sink in. Yeah. Uh, so we are excited to see again, an increased focus on uh, capacity on access um, and really kind of the workforce and the people who do this. Well, as I started with, this is just the beginning, um, you know, take your vitamins, eat well, make sure you're getting enough sleep because this is a long haul for folks like you who are doing the hard work hanging out at the state house, having these conversations. And as you use the word, Kelsey, defending a lot of what we hear in the governor's priorities and saying, hey, this is this is important to him. This is important in, in getting that support there. So uh, you uh, have committed to coming back and I'm going to have it on audio. So um, <laughs> but but I thank you for starting the conversation and look forward to that, uh, you know, that follow up down the road. Yep. We'll be we'll be here. We'll have lots to share, I'm sure. <laughs> it will be more fiery next time, I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Okay. This episode was produced by me, Dan Skinner. I received editorial and production support from Angela Lynn. Don't forget to check out our show notes, which has a bunch of links that you can follow through to learn a little bit more about some of the budget areas we talk about in the conversation. To do that, and also to check out an archive of past episodes, including episodes that are nice counterparts to today's conversation, please visit our website at prognosisohio.com. Prognosis Ohio is a member of the WCB Podcast Experience and the Health Podcast Network. As always, be in touch if you have ideas for guests, topics, or ways we can improve the show. We'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, we wish you well. Thanks for listening. <laughs>